1: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and it has been a a busy week in the world of college football. It's not often... That the first week of June is filled with headlines. It's not often that there has been uh, as much, as many twists and turns at some of the top levels of college football as what we have seen, but there is nothing about this week that is normal. Uh, from the beginning, this is the start of players returning to campus. And so before we get out of here, uh, we want to talk about some of the reports of how the testing protocol is going across the country. We will be getting to that. But uh, in the immediate future, we are also seeing the ways in which uh, America is reflected within our college football program. So um, I guess, yeah, I don't want to stand in the way of this, but I did want to uh, say before we get started that i felt like you know we talked for a little bit about um you know what was going on all around the country and but we kind of moved on quickly and that i don't think that's going to be what's going to happen here um i think it is unfair of us to try and like finger wag or lecture our listeners because i don't know what's in the hearts of our listeners uh some of them might be very moved by the murder of George Floyd by police in Minnesota or the oppression and racial injustice that has plagued the country for generations. But now we're talking about college football coaches, college football programs, and we've got over three decades uh, combined covering this sport and these people here on this podcast and, uh, and across the college football scene. So, you know, Now it is uh, our turn to really put that into some analysis. And so, you know, we're not going to sit here and finger wag and we're not going to lecture. You didn't sign up for this podcast because you wanted to hear about policy reform or local community activism, uh, though I would suggest uh, meditations on both topics. But you downloaded us to hear about college football, and this is the biggest deal in college football. We're going to talk about Florida State. We're going to talk about Clemson, talk about Oregon State, talk about Missouri, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma. Good headlines, bad headlines, a lot to digest Gentlemen, are you excited to do it? No. Yeah, I know. I know.
2: Yeah, it's, it's I mean, uh, I, look, I think we'd all, we, we're, we're happy. We're happiest when we have football to talk about. Um, but look, there's, there's some tough topics and hard conversations are being had. And that's probably a good thing. I mean, yes. it's definitely a good thing. There's no question it's a good thing. Uh, and so the, I think in a way, the, the, some of the storylines and news items uh, forcing our hand to, to really address these topics probably is maybe not what we are anxious to do, but not, not, not altogether unhealthy, probably pretty, pretty healthy uh, as a matter of fact.
1: I'll say that I was excited to speak to the two of you individually, selfishly, because I respect the opinions um, and the, the mindset and that both of you bring, not just to college football, but to everything else. I mean, I am more excited to venture into this conversation with the two of you, honestly, than I would be with even some of my close friend circle groups. Certainly not the group chats that have gone dark since Monday, you know, like a so, guy, like, like this is um, the place where I believe that I'm, I'm willing to, 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 you know, trot some things out, get some blowback. And I feel like we're going to have some healthy conversation. Uh, how about let's start with Florida state where I, are there lessons that we can learn from the last, we're recording at three nineteen PM on the East coast here on Thursday are there lessons that we can learn from the, the Florida State situation? And for those who haven't been um, all the way caught up, it starts with a, a lengthy quote from Mike Norvell to The Athletic regarding uh, his description of the ways that um, you know he has reached out to his players to try and discuss uh, the week with them. And in that quote to the athletic, there was the indication that there was some, you know, one on one and some conversations. To which Marvin Wilson, the future NFL draft pick, tweeted again late. I guess this would be uh, technically Thursday morning, but Wednesday night in uh, my colleague's time. He said, Man, this poop emoji did not happen, Maine. We got a generated text that was sent to everybody there was no one-on-one talk between us and coach this is a lie and me and my teammates as a whole are outraged and will not be working out until further notice 100 emoji hashtag huncho out uh so we wake up this morning thinking like well is is the team gonna quit <laughs> I mean are that we about to have a <laughs> protest like and uh, Tamarion Terry's tweeting green and orange emojis and I'm like is this that guy about to transfer to Florida A&m I mean, the, the whole range of spectrum, and we'll get to Marvin Wilson's statement at the end of this here in just a little bit. I've got that queued up. But the following actions quickly were they met as a team this morning, they came out with collective goals for social and community activism, and Marvin Wilson himself indicates that everybody's moving forward. How do you all describe the last the twists and turns of the last like 15 to 18 hours in Tallahassee.
2: So quickly, I think we got to put in to t- for context, the, uh, the quote from Mike Norvell. Uh, it was in ret- regard to, you know, I, I, what kind of conversations are you having with your players about the, the current events? Uh, quote. We've had a lot of open communication with our team, our players, and our coaches. I went back and forth individually with every player this weekend, and that was something that was important to me because this is a heartbreaking time in our country. Uh, And then he goes on to a a whole, you know, a a long quote about the the tip situation more generally. But that specific part of the quote is clearly what Marvin had an issue with. Uh, My first reaction was, you ain't in Memphis anymore, coach like welcome welcome to the big time like you better better have things buttoned up like because it, it made no sense that he like he would just like bullface a lie uh to a reporter that's about to publish these quotes on the record um and yet it was almost like i don't know to me it felt very um like it, it, it was, it was sort of empowering to see what Marvin Wilson's response was. It was mm. like, hey, you know what? Like this, I don't agree with this. I, I'm like, I'm a senior captain, future first round draft pick. If I'm not cool with this, I'm not just going to sit here quietly and and sulk. Like I'm going to come out here and call you to task, especially in these times. You know, I, I've got to say, I've got a voice. And I'm going to express it. And I thought that that was powerful, even initially, that he sort of stood up to this this system that puts the players very much at at a sort of an underling status relative to the coaches. Um, You know, that was was startling and in a way kind of cool.
0: I feel like I mean, I feel like this all could have. Been avoided pretty easily, honestly. I I think first of all, I think that the mistake norvell made, and the mistake that he owned up to in his statement that he released on uh, Thursday afternoon, is that he was you know he 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 poorly phrased what he was saying or he was trying to get across. And when you're in his position and you're speaking on behalf of that program, you gotta you gotta be clear about what you're saying. And while it, he doesn't come, there's no quote that says I had one-on-one conversations with each player. He did say he had a back and forth individually with every single player, and he could have been more upfront about saying I texted every player. Some I had conversations with some of them, but I texted every single one and let them know that I'm here to talk to if they want to talk. And I think that's where Marvin's reaction and Miss, you know, is justified. And I I agree with you, Barton. I'm I'm happy that players now have that position where. They can go and express this kind of thing where people could see it and it can bring about, you know, like repercussions. Not and the repercussions for this shouldn't be drastic because it's not like there was anything heinous done here. But I also think that, and I I didn't go to school for journalism, but I feel like this could have been solved really easily with just one simple follow-up question. After you got that quote, after you asked the question, as a reporter, because that's the thing that sticks out as the very top. I would just you could have just asked. So you spoke with every single player individually and that gives the person you're interviewing a chance to clarify what they said, if what they said was a mistake. And if that, if that follow-up question, if Norvell says, yes, I spoke to every single player individually. All right, cool. Then that's what he's saying. So I just feel like one little follow-up question could have avoided a lot of confrontation here.
1: Am I weird that I'm glad that the confrontation happened? Or no, because I'm okay. glad
0: it did, too, because this was, in the end, it's kind of a blessing. You know, it was, it was different mistakes that led to a very useful and demonstrable or demonstrable, you know, kind of situation where somebody screwed up, got called out on it, realized their mistake, spoke to the team about it. And now there's been an open line of communication, which is what was originally intended to be expressed to begin (laughs) with between the coach and the player. And I think that in the long term, is a very good thing.
1: I, we
2: go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like the, go ahead, Chip. We
1: we were just, we were planning to do a show where there wasn't going to be a happy ending. When we started our pre-show planning to this, this was going to head in a whole other direction. And I had all these notes that, and I don't, think that any of these opinions are wrong but you know players have more power now than ever you know like coaches that don't recognize that and think that they're going to be able um, to to say one thing to the media and have that not reach their players directly and not have those players be able to reach back um, but coaches can lie to the media coaches lie to the media they do frequently but you can't lie you can't do it at the expense of your players you can't prop your players up as a public relations um they can't use them as public relations props because they're gonna find out about it in a way that they never have before and they're going to react in the way that marvin wilson did and you know in that way is i guess i was you know offering a lot of criticism but you know we sit here recording now and i'm glad you mentioned the statement that mike norvell himself released uh i want to read it i'm proud of marvin for utilizing his platform to express his reaction to my comments in an earlier interview Last Saturday evening, I sent a text to each player individually to present an opportunity for open communication with me. Many members of our team chose to respond and have more in-depth conversations about issues and feelings. Marvin is right. It was a mistake to use the word every. Particularly at this time, words are important, and I'm sorry. That is that is owning up to it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, it's... The- it's nice too, because we're at a time where we have seen this week, a lot of coaches and schools and teams and brands issue statements. And while it's good that they're doing it and it's something that we need to see a lot, if we're all being honest, we've seen this kind of thing before. And a lot of the things that have said were things that will be said and then not really acted upon. And this is an instance where a coach said something and it, intentional or not I'm not again this isn't the uh, I'm trying to argue but he said something he said he was going to try to do you know he's talking about how he wants to talk to his players he wants to communicate with them he wants to be he wants them to feel that they can move on and communicate with him he aired his player called him out and then the person followed up on what he said he's trying to do and I think that is very important and I think that's a very good thing and hopefully all the coaches teams leagues, brands will back up their words with actions. Kind of like we saw Marvin Wilson do and Mike Norvell do now in response.
2: Yeah. The, the two, the two final sort of takeaways and, and, and Marvin Wilson had a, had a response as well, sort of burying the hatchet and also expressing the, the, the takeaways from the meeting they had yeah. and the action that they're going to take. And, and, and that was encouraging. And so I, I thought the, 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 the two other sort of takeaways from this whole incident to me were, were one, like it really felt when I went to bed or, or maybe I was even like, I might've even woken up in the middle of the night and seeing all this stuff. Um, but certainly when I, when I woke up in the morning early on, like it really felt like, Oh my God, like Mike Norvell might lose might his not job, make it through this. <laughs> <laughs> like if the T, uh, like if it was just a total lie and the team just totally turned on him, like that, like how do you even come back from that i, I think some of the you know s- some of the pieces were filled in and 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 obviously the, the kind of story came to a came full circle and came to a conclusion that was productive for everybody but it, it got real there for there's there was several hours there where like the there was legitimate talk in like social media circles like how are how like, how long till Mike Norvell is Takes steps down, Um, and then the other thought I had was, like, this is this is the new world. the The name, image, and likeness stuff is coming.
1: Mm.
2: You know, social media has already given players a voice that they'd never had before. the 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 racial dialogue uh, that's going on right now, in terms of just the movement, where we are witnessing and experiencing and partaking in is is going to further like empower players to the point where the just this kind of the old school perspective of like you know players will talk when I say they can talk and there's only one voice for the team and it's you know everything we do is about you know getting you guys ready for Saturday and limiting distractions and all this stuff like that that's they start to chip away pretty significantly and pretty quickly. And I think this was a, a incredible illustration of that. It's just like, you know, Marvin Wilson in a lot of ways is and was a more resonating voice than Mike Norvell. I mean, Marvin Wilson's been a floor stay longer than Mike Norvell.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
2: Marvin Wilson's about to make more money than Mike Norvell. Like the, there's you know, and, and so I just think like it's it's going to be really interesting as these guys continue to be propped up in a in a in a in a way that's sort of more driven by their like market value and their visibility. Uh, I, I think you're going to see guys take a stand, and 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 coaches sort of have to uh, hand over a little bit of the equity that they have in their programs
1: took a stand, we got what we wanted, and we are moving forward. I appreciate Coach Norvell for encouraging me to use my platform and to speak for what me and my teammates believe in. Be the change that you needed when you was growing up. And here is him in his own words.
3: Hey, coming back around full circle, uh, yesterday I took a stand. That was not only for me or FSU football, not even for athletes in general, it's for big George Floyd, black people in general, for our oppression that we've been going through for over 400 years. You know, I wanna say shout out to Colin Kaepernick for really being the first athlete I ever saw really take a stand for something that he believe in. And I believe thoroughly that black people has been oppressed for the way too long in America. You know, moving forward, yeah, we, we met as a team today, coming together, and we're gonna do three things. One, we're gonna be Everybody on the team is going to be registered voters going forward that we're going to have our say so on this next election. I encourage everybody, every black person, every athlete, every anybody that has a say so that's willing to vote to go out and vote with help this next election Two, number two. We're going to move forward and we're going to do different fundraisers and different things like that going forward to help give money to organization to help send black kids to college. 'Cause we need we need more more doctors, we need more lawyers, we need more politicians, we need more people with say so of color. Number three thing number three, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do do more fundraisers and to help uh kids around Tallahassee. You know, I, I've been in Tallahassee for four years now and so many schools around Tallahassee is below below the poverty line, bro. This is just, so many schools. You got some school that's almost 100% on free lunch. You got kids that got fifth grade kids taking care of their first and second grade little brother or sister. You know what I'm saying? Going home, their mama out, out working all night long trying to provide to, to, keep, to keep the lights on at night. You know what I'm saying? And different things like that. That's it's really ain't fair. You know what I'm saying? As a black man, as me, had to re- really had to see that growing up, that hurt. Going back and seeing different kids go through the same struggles that I had to fight growing up. You know what I'm saying? Just me... Being a man of color, I want to be that change. I want to be that guy to go out with all these tattoos on my body.
1: And he goes on to describe the change that he wants to be a part of in terms of showing a good example. Um, when he and you're right about this, Barton, when you mentioned it, he he seemed to understand in his video statements posted to his Instagram and his Twitter account that he's about to be a millionaire. He's he was like yeah. I'm, I'm I, I am about to be out here in the NFL. Um, and I want to be able to, to be positive representation. So he took a stand, they got a meeting, they came out of the meeting, uh, feeling like everybody was on the same page with specific goals that include, um, motive, you know, getting the team involved civically and helping, uh, the community, both the black community in general and the Tallahassee specific community. I, 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 th- I think that this the many different ways that this uh this story could have went from starting from last night when we were first made aware of it to about you know an hour ago before we started taping i why why am I coming away from this I'm I don't know why I am coming away encouraged by what we just saw in the last 24 hours
2: I agree yeah it's it yeah you're right I mean i I don't know if everyone has that perspective or not but I, I, this is of oh, there's there's been some not so good not so feel good stories in college football over the last 24 hours um this one really is to me a net positive it's a good start i'll say that for sure
1: so the clemson tigers um do you, 2017 uh at a practice offensive line coach danny pierman uses an n-word during practice to DJ Greenlee, D- DJ Greenlee took offense to it, mentioned something to Dabo Sweeney. Dabo Sweeney then addressed it with Danny Pierman afterwards, but uh, according to, uh, oh, what was Tuttle's first name? It's Henry Tuttle's son, I believe. Um, shy? It's not Shy Tuttle, but a teammate went took to Twitter after Dabo Sweeney Um, A a clip of Dabo Sweeney's conference call discussing his take on what was happening in the country was shared by the official Clemson Twitter account in a promotional way to put Dabo Sweeney's heart and thoughts on display for the public, and um, Tuttle took some offense to it, it seemed, because his call-out was uh, a coach used an N-word towards a player and you didn't say anything. Now, DJ Greenlee has been very open about the situation in speaking on the record with the state. He has posted his own statements about it. He is trying to move on from this. Danny Pierman has issued his own statement uh, defending himself and not, excuse me, not defending himself. He issued his own statement to give an explanation of his side of the story, which included um, comment his understanding that he had done wrong and acknowledging that Dabo Sweeney had discussed the issue with him, uh, making sure that it was not something that was ever going to happen again. I don't know that I have seen Dabo Sweeney address this incident specifically. And... I don't know if I, Chip Patterson, need Dabo Sweeney to address this incident specifically, but I understand if someone else really wants to hear Dabo Sweeney come out and address this 2017 in- incident. It This week, the headline is absolutely just going to fly and it's going to create a different conversation around Dabo Sweeney. Um, and I, I'm curious to hear if y'all, number one, do you do you care what Dabo has to say right now? Do you do you want to uh, hear what Dabo has to say about the incident? And then number two, do you think that it's important in the larger sense for Dabo Sweeney or for Clemson whether or not he discusses this incident?
2: What do you think, Tom? I
0: think he should address it. Yeah, I, I think that if you are the face of a program, if you are the representative of a program, and You go into a player's living room and tell their parents that, you know, you're going to be the one taking care of them for the next three, four years, however long they're going to be a part of your team and playing for your team, that when something like this is brought up and, you know, not just like a coach being mean to me, but something like this, which is a step further than that, then yeah, you have a responsibility to address your team at a minimum maybe you don't might not have to hold a press conference about it. You don't might not have to make it public, but you need to address your team at the minimum. And based on, I I don't know if that happened based on what we've seen from social media, from, you know, Canyon Tuttle. I, it's, I don't think that's happened. I think that the players would like that to happen. I don't know if it will. I think now the fact that you didn't is leading to this, which is going to be a much worse situation for you. And I think that, This is something that shouldn't have happened. This is something that could have been addressed head on. It could have been a learning moment. It could have been a teaching moment. And instead it was just, to me, if this has came up, it's like, hey, yeah, having Perriman apologize to Greenlee is important. And maybe for Greenlee, that was enough. And maybe that was, you know, that's all that he wanted at the time. And that maybe that's why it didn't happen. But I still think that if I'm a coach and this situation happens where somebody that is in my employ working for me says something like that to one of my players, I'm going to address my team because I'd like to get out you know I, I would just like to address it and have it taken care of I don't want to just hope it goes away because if it doesn't go away it becomes a huge problem
2: yeah um, I, I mean I think obviously there was a bit major mistake in in what was said and I think there was a a mistake by Dabo in in not addressing it head-on with the team at the time I think that's you know that's the type of thing that is a big enough deal that you just need to get it out in the open. And maybe that creates the conversation that needs to be had <clears throat> at that time, which was whatever it was two or three years ago. Um, I also think, like, I do think it is relevant that I don't think either player, certainly, you know, certainly not DJ Greenlee and and not, uh, is, it, is it Karen Tuttle? Canyon, Canyon, Canyon and, Tuttle.
1: Yeah, and his dad's name is Perry Tuttle. Perry Tuttle was former Clemson wide receiver. So there's, I mean, he's this. This is coming from son of a former Clemson player. Obviously, Canyon Tuttle was not leading the team in receptions at the time, but this is a a family that is very closely tied to the Clemson football history.
0: And yeah, Shy like, Tuttle was a defensive tackle from Tennessee,
2: right? <laughs> so I I, could, I don't think while. Well, Both players, and it sounds like there are other players, were disappointed in the way Dabo and Clemson handled that situation. I don't think either players expressed a sentiment that they felt like Dabo is racist or a bad person or anything of that nature. I think what was expressed was in times like this, because it was in response to Dabo's press conference that he had where he He gave some vague uh, references to the, the situation at hand without really addressing the issues head on. And I think it was in reference to that and sort of a disappointment in his unwillingness to engage in racially charged issues in a more constructive way in the eyes of those players. And so that's... Yeah, you know, I think that that there's you could you could certainly take that on with Dabo Sweeney. Like you could, y- you know, you could. His approach has been very much of less like just sort of w- win with love kind of thing. Right. Like let's just let's just love on each other and let's just let's just you know stay focused on the task at hand. And you know, as long as this team is is about love and you know we're. Have faith in God, then things will take care of themselves, and you know we can trust that that's going to happen. And so I think that you know you can you can agree with that, you can knock that, but I think that's what ultimately those players had issue with. Am I wrong in that? I
0: don't think so. I mean, it's it, it's a tough conversation to have, which is why your initial inclination might be not to have it if right. you're Dabo Sweeney. Right. But the fact that it's a tough conversation to have is probably why it needs to be had right. it's a tough situation overall and to just have it helps give everybody a better understanding and I will just say I mean I know Perriman apologized to Greenlee and he should have but Perman should have apologized to the entire team because a coach shouldn't be doing that yep. period nobody should be doing that but let alone a coach somebody who's supposed to be you know molding these kids to be adults and to be people in the real world and I think that. Swinney is in a, like you when people talk about white privilege Swinney is the privilege of being in a situation where he could just have that happen and then move on with his life the players that have to deal with that a lot in their lives from people in charge and people around them don't get to just pretend you know just move on that's not something they can push aside and go live their life and forget happens so that's something that i think that you know you have to have these conversations. And I think that, you know, like I went back to earlier talking about Norvell, like you can't just put out the statement. That statement is great, but then ignoring this or not tackling it head on when it happens is not backing up the statement. You have to act on what you say.
1: I, I think that, um, I don't have expectations that if Dabo, if, the only thing that it Dabo Sweeney could say now, cause I agree with you, something addressing it with the team at the time, making it a more uh, constructive, team-wide, program-wide approach is something that I think would have kept Canyon Tuttle from feeling like he needed to to share those comments and point the point the spotlight on this incident. Um, but him coming out now, I I don't know what I would expect, especially based on the way his comments were Monday. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have examples of head coaches at the top of college football that have, in my opinion, been able to, uh, been able to, to be, uh, take, take a leadership strong voice role because I wanted to, you know, we're, we're bouncing around a little bit here. The Lincoln Riley, um, in blackout Tuesday posted the black square hashtag black lives matter. He was asked about, he was asked about it later talking to reporters Lincoln Riley said, because it's a personal belief of mine. All lives do matter, but the incidents here of all the different things that have gone on between law enforcement and specifically black males has highlighted that. And it's highlighted that people have said it very well, maybe better than I can say it, that all lives can't matter until black lives do too and on on an equal playing field. That's something that I agree with. That's not something that's done because I coach a football team that has a lot of young black males on it or a staff that has black males on it that has nothing to do with it. I've been on football teams, been in those locker rooms. I've seen how awesome it can be when everybody takes an approach of we're all on the same playing field. We're all equal and how beautiful that is. And so being in those situations for the majority of my life has only made me appreciate more how awesome and how much better life is when we don't worry about the color of our skin or any other factors and treat people the right way and have the same opportunity and people have the same opportunities based on the work they do and the decisions they make. He also was one of the first people to, um, on May 20 after George Floyd's murder in the hands of police on May 25th, he came out just a few days later i always stand with my players and i'm thankful that i was raised in a home that taught me no human regardless of race religion or any other factor should be treated differently we have a long ways to go as a as a society i'm committed to being part of the change uh I, go ahead
2: well i was just going to say <clears throat> as a follow up to that or as a as a handcuff to that the the Tom Herman has some pretty candid comments. Oh, yeah, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Okay. I got I got those pulled up. You want me to read them? Yeah, for sure. Please do. Can the average fan relate? No, they can't. There's a double standard, maybe a little bit. We're going to pack hundred thousand people into DKR, millions watch TV that are predominantly white. Not all of them, certainly, but most of them white. We're going to cheer when they score touchdowns. We're going to hug our buddy when they get sacks and interception. But we going to let them date our daughter? Are we going to hire them in a position of power in our company? That's the question I have for America. You can't have it both ways. And if you're going to cheer for them and love them for three and a half hours on Saturday in the fall, you better have the same feelings for them off the field because they're human beings. They deserve the same amount of respect and human rights that all of us do in this country when we agreed on the social contract to be a member of the United States.
1: Do you think it's an age thing? Is it just the young guys are a little bit are, – are programmed a little differently because – I don't know if I am asking. Uh, I don't know if I'm asking every college coach to be so candid with it, but man, Tom, especially like in the you know you're talking about the brands and the the very like PR written statements that we're seeing. When we're getting some of these candid, more emotional, more emotionally honest comments from coaches at the top of college football, it it really stands in comparison. And I I don't know why that is that we are seeing that maybe now or or why it is college football coaches um, that seem to be breaking from the mold where, like you, like you mentioned, Barton, the mold of the college football coach is not to be letting your guard down in the way that we've seen from Lincoln Riley, Tom Herman, and some others.
0: I, I don't know what causes it as much as I think it's just... A step in a process that's been going on for, you know, a long time. And maybe now we live in an era where a lot of the things you'd heard about happening and could easily just ignore if you had that, if you had the ability to do so are now in your face more than they ever have been simply because of technology and video and social media. And I think that a lot of eyes maybe that weren't open to it before are starting to see it and maybe coming to that realization that this is a real thing that needs to be dealt with. And I think it helps that for guys like Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman, just or football coaches in general. These are people that are around African-Americans. If you look at their team, I think a lot of people in this country might not have that kind of exposure because this is still a largely segregated society that we live in. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I didn't, it wasn't something that was, it was somewhat conscious to me as a kid. I just didn't really think about it because I was, you know, I was seven, eight, nine years old. The neighborhood, like when, by the time I got to high school, I was in a situation where, I went to a high school where like less than 20% of the student population was white. It was predominantly African-American and then a smaller portion of Hispanic. And then there was white, Asian, Pacific Islander, all that stuff. And the reason for that was because my elementary school growing up was predominantly white. My middle school was half and half, I would say. And it was because when you went to a different school, there were different neighborhoods that were aligned with those schools. So like my middle, my junior high, there was a black neighborhood where the students started coming. When I got to my high school, it was mostly the black neighborhoods. And for me growing up, that's what they were. It was like, okay, that's the black neighborhoods. This is my neighborhood. And it didn't dawn on me until I was getting older and realized, wait, why is there a black neighborhood? Why, why did, why, what about like 25th Street going on this side means you're black and this side means you're white? Why does that happen? And I think that in a lot of areas of the country, it's mostly white neighborhoods. And you're not growing up in a place where you are dealing with people who are different from you. Whereas if you're black, you're pretty much growing up in a country in America where you're surrounded by white people everywhere you look for the most part. And I think that guys like Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman and other coaches are in a position where they're around African-Americans all the time and they get to know them and they get to hear their stories and it opens their eyes and their perspective to somebody else which is something that a lot of people don't have and i think that now with social media like i said more people are getting exposed to the realities that other people have been dealing with for a very long time and i think that is a good thing in the long run although it's going to be painful and as we have seen this is not something that's going to happen overnight it's a, i mean Martin Luther King was in the 60s. It's already been damn near 60 years since the Civil Rights Movement, and that was 100 years after slavery was put to an end. There's a uh, long way to go here.
2: So I I, st- I still think that in football, the old school approach is winning games. That's the old school mentality, winning football games, college football, building rosters, and the, the team camaraderie team building that is is constructed within that roster is is done so with a purpose of winning football games and you're all searching for a common goal and in doing that you know we we find harmony we cross economic socioeconomic and, and racial bounds and we become a team and and this is kumbaya and like i think that, so there's there's a still a very football minded uh Genesis to like the way a lot of these sort more older generation coaches think, you know, the Herm, Herm Edwards in Arizona state sent out a, a video about like, we're all in one huddle together. Like we need to huddle up more or whatever. And, and, and I think that that's like, that's fine, but it, it is, it doesn't, the, the more, the, the, the newer generation of coaches, I think have just begun to understand Or or at least several of them, a lot of them, have embraced the idea that their job is to do more than just win football games. And maybe, like maybe it's not that. Maybe their job, maybe they still view their job as just to win football games. But they understand in order to do that, they need to be more connected with their players beyond the football field. And I think in in taking that mentality, it's forced some of those coaches to confront some of those problems that maybe an older school generation of coaches just are a little more reluctant to confront because in their eyes, hey man, let's all let's all lock arms and in this locker room, it's a sacred place. And I don't care where you're from or or what your background is or what your race is, like we're all a team and that's what the world should be like. And and I just think the reality of that isn't as simple. And I do think that there's a newer generation of coaches that are willing to acknowledge that. In a more, in a more straightforward, candid way, much like you know, like literally having statements on the record where you're talking about white and black and and actual prejudices that exist, without just generally saying I'm against racism. Right. Like that's that to me is there's 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 a little more meaningful sentiment to that. When you're actually letting your guard down and saying the words beyond just we should all unite as a as, as a country.
1: Yeah, Jonathan Smith wasted no time uh, audio surfaced uh, former of f- former Oregon State tight end Rocco Carley uh, using racist language. Jonathan Jonathan Smith immediately shared the audio with Scott Barnes. They both agreed that the language and attitude is entirely unacceptable regardless of circumstance or environment. Spoke with Rocco, dismissed him from the team. I will not tolerate racism or hate speech. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz participated with his many players. The Missouri team had a player-led walk to the courthouse in Columbia, a walk that included members of the Columbia Police Department, and I think university police as well, and included the athletic director and I think university president, uh, they took a knee for eight minutes and 46 seconds the length of time that uh, the knee was on the back of George Floyd's neck before he was taken away. And 62 student athletes who participated in the walk also registered to vote in that. That felt like, um, Eli Drinkwitz feels like another example of of new modern understanding approach.
2: Yeah. I thought that was awesome because I don't know, like I I see all these, it, you see all these statements coming out and yeah. I mean, like I said, everyone is against racism and like at some point it sort of just became, you know, coaches have to make a statement. And so, you know, what do you, what do you even say that that matters um, other than just acknowledging you know, you want to be on the right side of, of history, I guess. But it's the, the hard, the, the, the hard part is like figuring out what can you do? Like what, what can you do to really make meaningful change and affect change? And, and, and I think that that was a really smart and meaningful thing to do for Missouri because what, I mean, register 85 guys to vote. Like that's, Fantastic. Like that, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and and I, well, go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, interrupt. I was just going to say and like I do and I think and like remember when Will Muschamp and I think it was Will Muschamp but I definitely I think Nick Saban too like we're like we didn't even know it was you know, ask if they <laughs> didn't even know it was his election vote. day or whatever. We didn't even yeah. know it was election day. And I, I think that that's going to start to shift to where you know, if you really want to affect change as a coach, if you want to like live up to whatever your your PR statement says, that's a way to do it is to set, to give to, uh, election Tuesdays, say, you can't work out today. You can't come into the building. You have to go vote or you have to go get registered. And that's apolitical, but it's just, it's just programming your players to be engaged in the, in, in, in their community and in, in the election process. So I think that that by Eli Drinkwitz was, is one of the more meaningful things that one of these coaches have done and a
0: full credit to Eli Drinkwitz for doing that. I think that's tremendous. And I would just say, you know, keep doing it. You got to, it's, it's one of those things you, you do it you got to keep doing it and you got to stick to it. And I don't, I don't just mean Eli Drinkwitz or any coach. I mean myself, we could all do a little more and try a little harder than most of us have been to this point.
1: Amen to that. Uh, before we hit the break, Georgia tech also, uh, athletic department wide will not hold any mandatory athletics activities on election day, this November encouraging every athlete football team included uh, to go and vote. And I know that Jeff Collins has been very proactive in the last week or so and in, in encouraging dialogue among his team. I think we're going to continue to see more of that uh, coming up on the other side from one really easy discussion to another. We're starting to see what, Players returning in the world of coronavirus looks like next. So, we've got uh, we've got a new beat at CBSSports.com. <laughs>
0: Finally some lighter fare. I was getting way too emotional. Now we could, now we we talk could about ease up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I the
1: the new beat at CBSSports.com is positive test beat. But, which I mean, I was it yesterday was Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Today we've got Alabama. Um, I guess first reaction is uh, I applaud transparency. I suppose, um, and I think that there's a lot to be learned from our side, because we're going to get asked on every single radio hit on CBS Sports HQ. And you know, by all of our friends and all the fans, there are going to be a lot of questions about what happens. And in a lot of these university press releases, we are getting answers, you know, such as uh, a positive test will result in three to six weeks um, in quarantine. That if you, through contact tracing, are found to have been in close contact with the person who tests positive for covid-19 then you receive at least 1 week and you have to get net of quarantining and you have to get um you you've, you've got to be able to pass your own series of testing. So there's some some actual protocols that we're starting to learn and we're starting to see put out, but it's also a a reminder that the without any, you know, vaccine with the the um virus still very much out and spreading across uh the country. That you're going to have, uh, reportedly, about a handful of Alabama players uh, testing positive upon their return to campus. That you're going to get um, a couple of Oklahoma State football players testing positive. That a staff member could test positive, and then all of a sudden, everybody that's worked with that staff member uh, starts to to go on and, and have to go through the protocol so how, as you are know, just four days into June, voluntary activities at a lot of places are going to begin uh, June 8th. And the reason we're getting all this news is because a lot of players started returning to campus June one and going through a testing process and in, in a one week sort of pre workout quarantine period. How, um, how are we, how are we feeling about the, the way that this is going to go? Not only, here at the beginning, as schools are trying to get ramped up, as programs are trying to get ramped up, but also with an eye ahead towards the season.
2: So my my thing with this is like, all right, so five guys tested positive, at Alabama. Like that that's not surprising that guys are coming in and testing positive. They're all asymptomatic, and you know who knows how many people have COVID. But what's going to be interesting is like the the quarantining that takes place now, uh, how easily they can contain it within the team, uh, how effective they are at sort of directing the quarantine efforts, the the tracing, contact tracing. I talked to a coach this week who was saying how they were planning for, you know, like the – the equipment guys being able to step in and signal in plays or something like they, you know, the multiple people have to be prepared to call plays. Head coaches may need to be able to pull both offense and defensive plays. The quarterback room has to be the most like detail oriented safety precautions to make sure your entire quarterback room doesn't get it. Like if you, if your quarterback room has it and or one guy in your quarterback room has it and they've been practicing together in in close quarters do you have to quarantine your whole quarterback room during the season and then what do you do on Saturday like I think that's going to be fascinating is just if this turns into something where you know it it can spread or where it's the the, the, you know the quarantines have to be strictly enforced then there's going to be some real issues in the fall with Fielding a team, fielding a coaching staff, just like game day operations. I mean, I think there's just a lot of elements to this that are are really interesting. So, look, we're going to find out uh, to see how Alabama and some of these other programs are able to quickly adapt as they get these cases. But would you say three weeks is what some – they're they're talking about for the quarantining. Like I use that's a significant amount of time.
1: I I use that is from the Iowa state handbook. And I was very appreciative athletic director, Jamie Pollard um, was very forthcoming and we don't even know the Iowa state cases are definitely football players, but that was uh, a, that was a school that when they were announcing positive cases within the athletic department, they gave a very detailed. They came forward and did it themselves. The Alabama uh, right now is just reported. We still haven't heard from the school, but that was, that was Iowa State coming out and being like, "Here's what we do when we get positive cases."
0: You guys remember like the movie The Boy in the Plastic Bubble?
1: Yes. No. Okay,
0: that but with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't know, man. I, I, I was oh, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I was just. I we're gonna listen. We're gonna see a lot more players testing positive over this. So if you if you're a fan of a team right now, like if you're an Auburn fan. I wouldn't go gloating about Alabama players testing positive because there's a very good chance Auburn players will soon enough. And just like, just try to stick away from that. And hopefully, in a way, this kind of helps as sports so often has done in the past, shines a light on the actual problem. Because unless you've had it or you've known somebody who had it, or if you live in an area of the country where there's such a high population density that it's impossible to avoid it. This has been something that maybe you could kind of just say has been blown out of proportion. But if we start seeing a bunch of young, you know, 18 to 22 year old men showing up on campus, not showing any symptoms, but all testing positive, maybe that helps shed a light on why we were doing the things we did, because that may not hurt these kids. They, based on the data we've seen, anybody in their age is a very, very high probability is just going to be sick, move on and then be fine. But a lot of the people coaching them and on coaching staffs or who work in athletic departments or around the school who are older, it greatly, it affects them more. So that's kind of what the whole point of the social distancing and the quarantining was. And so maybe something good comes out of this. If players keep testing positive and hopefully it doesn't lead to a situation in which we don't have football.
1: I don't trust schools. Once we get into the season or maybe football programs to be completely honest with some of these tests. Am I being too cynical?
0: No. I mean, I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not sitting here saying that schools are going to be out here just straight up lying. But to pretend there won't be one, a coach or a player somewhere. Who you know, all right, let's sweep this under the rug. That's just that's human nature. That's not sports, that's not college, that's not the culture of college athletics. That's just human nature. So yeah, that's going to happen somewhere.
1: Like and like it's like, now tell me everybody that you hung out with yesterday, write it down on a sheet of paper. And they start writing T R E V. It's like whoa, 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 whoa. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you no, you
0: haven't seen Trevor in You months.
1: sure you hung out with Trevor yesterday? I'm not sure
2: uh yeah um yeah yeah it's uh and like the other thing that's interesting too is is all right so five guys tested positive at alabama um does that mean now like are we gonna then find out that one of those guys once they recover are like i know i know schools or some schools are also doing antibody testing like are we gonna find out that there's an immunity? Are we going to find out there isn't? Are guys going to get reinfected? Like, I, in a way, we can. We might be able to like learn a good bit from. And I guess you know, a NBA, and potentially baseball and I mean, college and, campuses. And period. But, but, co- you, but college campuses are like, yeah, like that's a guys are going to get it. Like, are you? It's imp- are
0: you implying that having testing available might lead to being able to figure things out?
1: <laughs> that's weird.
0: <laughs> that's crazy talk.
1: I did. I saw. Um, uh, not my joke. I'm sorry, but it was the the image was of Nick Saban doing a winking motion at the camera, and the caption was, "When the whole squad has developed herd immunity before kickoff of the season." <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: it can't 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 lose our best players in the middle of the season if everybody gets it by uh, September 5th.
0: Yeah, the the national title this year will be determined by the team with the highest rate of antibodies.
2: I don't. Whoever does the whoever does the best job of social distancing and quarantining uh, in June is going to be ranked the lowest come September. If you're just if it's just wild wild west and you're just letting guys hang out and uh, share towels and whatever else, then you know that might be you might be in good shape come September. Also,
0: can I speak to the cognitive dissonance of like today, like reports of Alabama players testing positive, Oklahoma State players testing, po- Iowa State players testing positive. And meanwhile, like the governor of Texas is saying that they think they're going to have 50 percent capacity for the games this fall. Listen, I love optimism. I appreciate the optimism, but maybe let's let's read, you know, let, let's read the room a little bit before just saying, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to have people there. Fine. It won't be a big deal.
1: I think that there is going to be uh, at least I I think that we are going to have on almost a weekly basis a players of significant miss games because of either uh, contracting the virus themselves or uh, having to isolate themselves for one week because of contact direct contact with somebody who tested positive.
0: I can't wait until week nine of the season when we have we have trends for the locks episode based on <laughs> COVID nineteen. It's like, well, trends show that this team is four and zero at home when it has fewer than eight players quarantined.
2: <laughs> that is, it's going to be. Uh, I wonder how much how much we're going to. I mean, I assume like college coaches, just like they do with their injury reports. They're gonna keep their COVID reports quiet, yeah. Until like we might, we might see games. We might have a lock, and we get to Saturday, and the team we have picked as a lock is literally running a wildcat offense because their entire quarterback room is quarantined. We've we've
1: seen that before, right? Where I mean, just a sickness breaks out or a virus, you know, all of a sudden Saturday morning you see the Vegas line take like a four point swing. And then, right before kick, up, or right as the team's running out, the beat reporters start being like, nine people have the flu, not playing. <laughs> Turns out 45
0: pizza delivery guys delivered pizza to a hotel room with the team last
1: night. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is going, I mean, it's just going to be a factor, you know, and yeah, you know, shout out to Program Depth. I hope you got it. And I'll, I'll say we haven't mentioned Kirby Smart's name. I have, I have not seen any, um, I'm not seeing anything from Kirby Smart one way or another, at least in terms of this week, but I do remember him discussing the return to campus, the reopening of of the football program, and he he made a great point. He said a lot of these players think they're invincible. They're so big. They're so strong. They're young. They're not afraid of anything, much less a virus. One of our jobs – is going to be able to instruct them on how to be safe and and sanitation. And we are going to have to teach them and ask them not only within the facility, but also as they go out across campus of ways that they can be washing their hands, ways that they can be keeping their distance. And I thought that that was, um, not only responsible and not only trying to be a a good leader and informative and understanding your team, but that also sounded like a coach that in his mind is looking at the fall and being like, listen, y'all, like I, if we're going to win football games, you all have to be healthy and continue to test negative. And if you're going to continue to test negative, I need you to be doing the, or we need you to be doing these things right now in a sense like it it is motivation for college football coaches to be providing as many opportunities to be safe and healthy and COVID free as possible because the success of the football program, just winning ball games, relies on it.
2: I mean, can you imagine the idea like, yes, you're right. All these like Kirby, you're right. Like all these guys feel invincible. And it's not just the football players. Like every college age kid feels invincible. Like, can you imagine like getting done with a game on Saturday and I just, I'll speak for myself. I can't imagine getting done with a game on Saturday and not having an opportunity like, and, and just like going back to my room for, to, to, to socially distance and, <laughs> and like, you know, listen to music or something like you want to go out and, and, and like have fun and, and like celebrate and give high fives, you know, <laughs> give high fives and like, holler at some girls They're like that's you know this that that's that's what a college kid does and the idea that like somehow everyone's just gonna just stay six feet apart for an entire semester to stay safe for the season like it's just incredibly unrealistic yeah. so I don't, it's gonna be
0: wild I will say even in college on sun, there were a lot of Sunday mornings where I didn't feel nearly invincible anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> I will, just not even just with the football players. Think about how you felt like your freshman year at college and like going to college and being, you know, free or independent to whatever you want to view it. Imagine like how the enrolling freshmen this year, both on the football team and just regular students are going to feel it's like to enroll at college in this environment and how much that sucks
1: showing up early going home at thanksgiving uh it's gonna be so hot think about the gpas dorms that are gonna ho-
0: rise this fall though dude like we are gonna see some record team gpas
1: <laughs> because they just because they're not gonna be out doing stuff
0: because they're gonna have nothing to do but homework man
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man gonna be crazy uh any, any any other thoughts? I mean, this is this is a topic that we're going to continue to unpack and figure out. As I mentioned, we are recording on June fourth. Players started coming back to campus June first, so in four days we've already started to dive into it, um, and we still have you know. Th- God knows
0: what'll happen by Monday's episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, any anything else lingering before we get out of here?
2: Mm. No, no, I got nothing. I'm just, I'm just sitting here, just like, just I can't stop smiling and laughing at the idea of a college football player just trotting on back to his dorm room every afternoon, just getting back on, getting back on his computer, playing Words with friends or whatever the hell, (laughs) (laughs) just like no, just I mean, look, in college, I like we would, uh, we would, we would stick to saturday nights as our nights to like partake and that like there was discipline in that you know now now we're just saying like you just can't socialize at all for the entire week Hey, group to stay safe for the season we're gonna find out so who's really disciplined
1: okay so who's which which team is gonna have the uh the most trouble because i unfortunately i do athens is fun i think georgia's in trouble I might have to change all my picks based on what... All right, this is it. Mississippi State, now's your time.
0: I'm going to have a column up next week. Why party schools football programs are in trouble in 2020.
2: (laughs) Who's not in trouble? Where is there just nothing to
0: do? Oh, Northwestern will be fine. (laughs) Shots...
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dude, that was that was the original Barton Simmons coronavirus pick, right?
2: That was yeah. I'm still yeah. Like that. Like there's just another tally in the Northwestern column for why they're going to survive in the quarantine era.
0: Yeah, Northwestern players are thrilled. They get to just go home and read Chaucer or something. They can
1: just hang <laughs> out. Uh, Rutgers is this
2: good for uh, Piscataway? I don't know. I don't see. Uh, I don't. See, I don't see the Piscataway folks being super um super in tune with social distance you know liberty has been pretty hardcore about uh, just sort of letting people back on campus but the, the 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 campus environment i wouldn't think is super conducive to partying That's i don't know true. man
1: i don't know man even even if it's just uh even if it's just lemonade and donuts if it's you know open and everyone's sharing it you right. still still spread it
0: Bad. Yeah, is, is is communion wine like a Catholic thing or is that a whole wide Christianity thing?
1: No, it's Catholic. I mean, it's it is Protestants as well.
0: OK, so maybe that'll, you know, team will be getting into the communion wine.
1: <laughs> oh, man. All right. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, gentlemen, this has been I, – I feel lighter and I feel encouraged. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, I was excited to tackle tough issues with you two because I respect your opinions among uh, anybody else I know. So thank you very much for your time.
2: Thank you for listening.
1: Gentlemen, thank you
2: very much.
0: Thank you. Thank
2: you.